small nation, we don't have punch above our weight when it comes to the arts, even if I do say so myself. And like previous guest David McKenzie, Paul McGuigan is a fine example of what Scotland has to offer. From British crime drama gangster number one to whip-smart Hollywood thriller Lucky Number Slevin, he's proved most versatile, also working on a string of TV hits such as Sherlock. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, the weekly podcast about film music with some of the industry's most celebrated exponents. Paul's latest film is the fantastic film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Based on the memoir of Pete Turner, it tells the story of his relationship with screen goddess Gloria Graham while she was living in the city. The score is provided by Paul's friend Jay Ralph, who has very kindly sent us some examples from it, given that it's not yet commercially available. The film also features tracks by Elton John, A Taste of Honey, Jose Feliciano and an original composition from the one and only Elvis Costello. And since the story is all about Gloria, it seems like the perfect opportunity to play David Ruskin's wonderful theme from The Bad and the Beautiful, for which she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar in Welcome to Soundtracking. Congratulations on Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. It's beautiful. What a gorgeous film. Oh, thank you so much. Really, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Really, really stunning. And it was it's really nice to kind of feel like I'm on a bit of a journey with it because I was lucky enough to chat to your leading actress, um, Annette Benning, about it several months ago and she was just gushing about the experience of this film and how yeah. important and lovely she thought the story was yeah. to tell. It's funny, the first time I ever met Annette, we went to up to her house in Los Angeles. You know, I went into her house and she had all, all these books about Gloria Graham all just lying there with no. notes on it and little post-its and I felt very underprepared. Usually I'm like, I'm the one going to say, right, this is about Gloria Graham and she was this Hollywood actress. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and she knew and, and obviously her husband Warren knew her and it was interesting to do a story about someone real, you know, who, yeah. who, who had a life in Hollywood and who was this toast of town for a long time and then, you know, her, her star faded pretty quickly. And I think for an actress like Annette, this is a story that she found quite fascinating, especially the fading star bit. Yeah, there's a, an amazing chemistry between her and Jamie in the film and also just all the other cast <coughs> as well, be it Stephen or um, Julie and stuff as well. It's It feels quite theatrical in terms of you feel yeah. almost like you're watching a play. It's so intimate. Yeah, I mean, you know, my overriding idea of the film was about the fluidity of memory. Yeah. And how memory is not cinematic. Memory is about, you're there. If you think about a loved one, you think about a moment in time, you're actually in it, mm. rather than, oh, let's do a white shot of an exterior and then we establish it and then we go into a white shot and then we ended up close. I just wanted to go straight to the memory. So it is theatrical. And Eve Stewart, who was the production designer, we. We designed a set so that they would actually move around into the next set, and so the actors actually walked from one scene into another, another scene. scene. <clears throat> and that was quite important for me to 
to show the kind of immediacy of and fluidity of, of memory and the idea that anything can, can spark a memory, you know. Mm. And I always look at the audience at that moment when that happens the first time and I can see them kind of going, what? Did I get that right? And then suddenly they settle down because they realise, because you have to lean into that a little bit more. And I thought that was interesting because I didn't want to do that flashback kind of timeline thing. And it's yeah. only a three-year timeline. And to me, the book is such a small little book that it just it is, it con it condenses a real emotion and, mm. and a real power to it is that emotion and that love story between them so I didn't want to kind of wander off away from it you know I wanted to keep the audience very much contained within it and as I said it was great to have a, a real person to be the focus of that story and two real people of yeah. course Peter Turner and Gloria Graham. Did you speak to Peter at all? <clears throat> oh yeah Peter is a big part of my life now <laughs> I can't get rid of him. Best no, mates. <laughs> no he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful wonderful man actually he's, he's an incredible individual and, and you know it's interesting getting to know him was almost like at the finality of when we edited the film, I showed the film to Peter, and it was me and Barbara Broccoli. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Broccoli and I is uh, sitting in the theatre with just Peter Turner, and this man I've never heard somebody weep. Aww. I mean, really, from the from the stomach. Yeah. And, and it was interesting, you know. I kind of felt like I was giving him his story back a little bit, you know. And so there was there was a great deal of love in this movie and, and in all sorts of ways because um, the producer of the film Barbara Broccoli has been trying to get this film made for 20 years no 20 yeah wow. and I always say it's hard to make a movie right but if Barbara Broccoli can't get a film done <laughs> yeah, exactly. in 20 years it's it's a it's, it's a labor of love um, she, her, her and Peter are good friends and, and Annette and her are good friends so I kind of came in almost as the as the person that so sealed the deal as it were you know and we got it done Amazing. and it was interesting to come in to people that really loved and wanted to make this film was there any musical references in the book there was a little bit of musical references northern soul because obviously liverpool was the, the gateway to that so it was a little bit and then obviously peter i asked peter what kind of records we were listening to and all that kind of stuff so we kind of mined that i was costello pump it up yeah yeah have a, a soundtrack for the actors before we go and work. You make them a compilation? I do, it's almost like a little love, love tape, that. you know, it's almost like a little kind of homage to them as much as anyone. And, and, and I mix it up, I give Annette different songs from there, I give Jamie. Yeah, and, um, and, and is it songs for Annette or is it songs for the character? You know, it's interesting, I don't really know because it's more instinctive than that. You know, I'd hate to sit down and think about it too much and be a yeah, clinical, because yeah, yeah, yeah. music to me isn't a clinical pursuit. Dusty Springfield is one of my main artists for Annette because yeah. I felt he is a strong woman at a certain age. Her voice is really powerful. And I make you feel like you were the only man. And I give you everything a woman possibly can.
great about making this film. It was great to make a movie about a woman of a certain age who was still sexual, still very present, still a firecracker, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. That's unusual, unfortunately, in, in this day and age. So yeah. we wanted to sort of reflect that in the, in the kind of music that we found. So I did a lot of Northern Soul with Annette and the whole Dusty Springfield thing she really got. still being a firecracker there's a great scene as well the taste of honey the dance scene yeah. it almost feels like some kind of animalistic um, <laughs> you know a kind of mating yeah, call yeah, type thing yeah. where they're almost trying to test each other's stamina sure by the end of it jamie's more exhausted than she oh is. yeah yeah it's like sure. kind of she just oozes this oh, calm yeah. and demeanor and he's kind of heavy panting so well, he's showing off a lot <laughs> yeah. right he's showing off takes a bit of effort yeah we didn't rehearse that at all. We knew the song was going to be played, so we, we, we knew that was the song that cleared. So I just pressed play and went, let's see what we do. Oh, and, love that. and Jamie, obviously, being Billy Elliot and all that, he's, he's up for it, right? So he's I think this might pure. outdo his Billy Elliot dance routine, actually. But actually, you know, the point of that, and then you actually nailed it when you said that, you know, it is a, mate, a mating ritual for mm. sure. Like, you know, when we made the film, we said we don't want it to be sentimental in the sense of movies can be can really ring it out, you know, yeah. can really ring the sentimentality out of it. So the idea of a scene like that was to almost to get the courtship over with. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, I couldn't imagine a better scene than two people dancing and laughing and getting a good time. And, and you know, it's a kind of testament to both of them that they were up for it as characters and also as individuals. You know? Of them dancing. <laughs> I'll send you an outtake <laughs> table, but it's, um, it's Jamie Bell, he's such a tart with the old, uh, the old splits and stuff. You see him doing that, right? He's like, okay. No, he's brilliant.
get on to um, Jay Ralph in a second, your composer yeah. you've worked with before, but the other contemporary choices in the film are just, I wanted to ask whether they were a mix of talking to Peter, what was in their kind of soundscape sure. and stuff, be that, you know, Elvis Costello in the attractions or the Elton John track, which kind of comes, you know, it's got a few kind of yes, points where yes. it kind of comes in and how relevant that was, because it's just great in the version of California Dreaming and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. It's I love really... talking music. I could do it. <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> you've only got 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. All right. The opening track, that clever thing that you've done where you think that it's incidental music but then it becomes part of the oh, narrative the so, so she's putting it on on a cassette I got it, I've got it, this is my confessional about that track <laughs> I would never have that track in my own collection not that I'm getting against Elton John yeah. but it's not a song that I would Yeah. so this was Gloria's favourite song that was actually her favourite song so I actually, I think I might have said in a meeting, there's no way I'm having that song in the beginning of my film. <laughs> and I admit that because I've actually fallen in love with it a little bit, so I can admit that now. And I hope that people understand that wasn't the filmmaker's choices, which is good, right? Because I think it's the character choice, and yeah, that's, it's a true that's choice. the way the true choice should be. So she loved this. She had a little tape with her, and, and so the Elton John track came up. And they, I know the, the Barbara Broccoli had to um, beg, borrow, and break some legs to get that. She's promised theirs. him the body part in the next <laughs> Bond film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be amazing. Well, after, after what is it, Kings? Kingsman. Kingsman, yeah. Yeah, he probably will get. But, um, <laughs> It's interesting because it is a, an instrumental really apart from the last couple of lines is him talking. I think it was about a roadie of his that died, oh, wow. a song for Guy. So for some reason, not for some reason, obviously Gloria loved this song. It meant a lot to her and Peter wrote about that in his book so we had to have it in. Yeah. One other little moment as well where Annette's singing in the dark in the bedroom, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah. Was that track... It's on, the, it's on the film that she did. Actually, she was dubbed over. The, the real Gloria Graham was dubbed over on the track. 
But we wanted to do something. It was written in the script that she has a moment where she has a bit of clarity and a bit of energy, if you like, because mm -hmm. she isn't very well. And it was one of the moments, actually, that Annette really grabbed hold of. She was really taken by that moment. She felt it was really interesting. It was kind of a ghost of your past catching up with you a little bit. And, and we had to pitch it so that it wasn't like she was singing it like a musical or something. Yeah. It just comes from... It's real raw. You know, yeah, it's very raw. And the way that she's picking at herself. And it was a really um, emotional day that day, I remember. I mean, there, there were a lot of those days, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that was a song that she'd sung, she in, sung in, a, in a movie that we show a little clip of in the movie itself. Now this town is full of guys who think they're mighty white. <coughs> There's Carmen and there's boosters. There's cartmen and crap shooters. They congregate around Metropole. Wearing flashy ties and collars. But where they get their dollars? They've all got an ace down in the hole. Some through in the old books the dough. And that's the race in the home. <coughs> Others have friends on that old tender loan. And that's their race in the home. They'll tell you of trips that they're going to take from Frisco up to the North Pole. But their name would be mud like a chump feeling stand if they lost that old ace in the hole. If they lost that old ace in the hole. Working with Jay Ruff again on this, but how do you decide who you work with in terms of composers? Because you've worked with an amazing selection of composers, yeah. be it Cliff Martinez, yeah, Craig David Armstrong, Arnold, David Arnold, Michael um, Price, all that. Yeah, the Massive yeah. Attack Boys. It was interesting because I worked with Jay Ralph on, on Lucky Number 11, and I always remember that he really understood the layers that I was requiring for the music. You know, I didn't want the score to overwhelm the film, I wanted it to underscore a little bit.
that's a good question. I, I don't really know how I come about, if I'm honest, choosing mm. which composer. It just felt right to me. Yeah. It was much more instinctive than it was a deliberate, this is who I really want. Gee, Ralph, he's an interesting character. I'm I desperate to chat yeah. to him, actually, at some point. He's an interesting character because he doesn't do a lot of movies. I think the thing about Gee, Ralph, is he's very uh, instinctive, mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes it's really difficult when you speak to composers. You can imagine day one talking to composers. It's a very abstract yeah. conversation because you can't jump inside them. And, and sometimes I even go over to the piano and I'll start hitting some keys and they're like, you can't play the piano, Paul. And I'm like, no, I know that. <laughs> I understand that. But actually, actually, you know, I'm really desperate to tell you what I think. Plus, he was an American. I know this might sound weird, but I wanted a more of an American voice in there because... Mm -hmm. What's interesting, what I love about the film, you have this strong Liverpool accent with this really strong Hollywood accent. It's a beautiful mix. Yeah. It's a kind of weird, oral, strange mashup. And so I really wanted an unemotional attachment to it a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, as far as Peter Turner's story was concerned. Because the film's kind of his movie, but I wanted the music to be more glorious music, if that makes yeah. sense. This film's a, a really film about detail. There's more quiet in this movie than there is music, mm -hmm. in a sense, you know. And so the details had to be right. So every emotion we worked really hard on, J. Ralph and us, and he, he really got it emotionally, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I sent him the film, it was a rough cut. He was crying over the phone. He was just like, it's the best thing you've done. Oh. And we had no money to pay him, so that was good. <laughs> Make him cry before they really do cry. But, um, but he's, he's a wonderful, he's a wonderful instinctive composer. And it's about detail rather than him showing off too much, too much peacocking. The line between TV and film these days is very blurred, which is fantastic because there's incredible television being made, be that one-offs or series and stuff. You're you're working on something at the minute with mm. Amazon, aren't you as well? Yeah, but, but do you see that there's a you know in terms of working with, music, with composers and music and film, is it a different approach or is it a similar way of working in film and TV? You know, television is is really just a matter of time. You know, TV they can be doing eight hours. I mean, the thing I'm working on now, Carnival Row, that's eight hours of television. And it's $75 million of television. That's a lot of money. But I can tell you that composer won't get a lot of time to do it, which is a shame, you know, because yeah. mu mu music, I, I always have big, big arguments with producers about this. That music should not be an afterthought. It should be what you actually go in with, the soundtrack in your head, you know, of what you really want it to be. A lot of people don't ever think of that. They think of it as just a kind of, well, it's just another layer you put on to make a scene work yeah. or whatever, you know. Once you've edited it, stick it on um, type thing. Yeah, and, and I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not really like that at all. And so in television, I remember we did Sherlock in the first season of Sherlock and I would sit with Dave Arnold and I would be amazed at what he could do in such a short period. I mean, really quite literally, like, open my mouth, got gopping at him, going, really? That's incredible what you just did. And he'd be like, well, I'm glad you like it because that's all you're going to get. <laughs> and I was all right, really. Well, that, that worked out nicely. Because actually that's what it is. Whereas film... You've got a lot more, you've got a lot, and especially, you know, what I like to do is bring composers in a, a lot earlier. So, yeah. you know, I'll send them, you know, cuts of, of certain scenes and just to think about it really, rather yeah. than 
you know, and so you got much more time. Compilations that you make for your do, actors I, as well, well I do. just to you let know, them in on that side of things as well, the kind of yeah. mood that you're in in terms. I do. Of I just don't know how how much they really listen to them. <laughs> to be honest. Oh, that compilation oh, yeah, that is one. amazing. And I go, what about that song and track through the blah? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you're working on this this Amazon project, and are you maybe potentially working on the Man Who, or is that? Well, the Man Who is something that I really wanted to do big time. Which is the story of Brian Epstein. Yeah, we, we had an actor involved in it who's a big actor who's going to do it, so that was good. And then, unfortunately, ill health, he had to pull out. So I went on to do this one. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping one day I'll make that film because that's, that's a great one as well, you know. Yeah. And can imagine the music for that. It's going to be <laughs> kind of extraordinary. <laughs> no, it was interesting because I was talking to Elvis Costello, who's my new pal, obviously. Me and Elvis hang around all the time. Wow. But, um, no, when we're making this movie, yeah. I'd actually thought about Elvis for The Man Who, but then, uh, interestingly enough, I read Elvis's book and he mentioned Gloria Graham in the book. So when he was playing at the Palladium here in London, Barbara and I went to see him. I said to him, we do a track for this film? And he went, yeah, I love Gloria Graham. Am I fine? Am I pleasing? Are you pitying? Are you teasing? You shouldn't look at me You shouldn't look at me that way Should a glance from you just shoot through me If a glimpse of you could You shouldn't look at me, you shouldn't look at me that way. On, on stage for like 10 minutes. I Did he like, know you were coming? No, no, that's what I thought. Does he know we're coming here? But I was like, like, he really doesn't. <laughs> really? And, and, and he made, he actually wrote the most beautiful, I mean, I'm a big, yeah, I was still fan. And then on Christmas Day, well, email pinged. I was a bit annoyed. I was like, who emails you on Christmas Day? It's crazy. 
and uh, it was him, he said, oh, Happy Christmas, and there was the song he sent uh, for the film, and, and we used the film, it's not only at the end of the movie, we actually used it, and Josh was very gracious about it, he's like, that should be in the middle, because that's the real essence, you know, it's called Don't Look At Me That Way, and it's a beautiful sentiment. Don't take more than I offer Oh, my love, I'll make you suffer You shouldn't look at me you shouldn't look at me that way Time among all of your enemies Makes disguises from drastic remedies From the first blush of detection Fighting your own reflection You shouldn't look at me You shouldn't look at me That way You shouldn't look at me it's great when that works out. You know, yeah. When you can actually get one of your heroes to come in. Wow. And, but he got it, you know, he, he saw the movie in New York and he was like, I love it. And he went away for a couple of weeks and there you go. We've run out of time. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. No, it's so so nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Um, well, let's get part two in for the next, when you finish right, your, your sure. next project. Really appreciate your time and congratulations oh, well, again on you. the film. It is, oh, thank you. That means awesome. a lot to me, actually. Thank, thank you. you very much. Cheers, yes. mate. soundtrack to film stars don't die in liverpool that's california dreaming by jose feliciano rounding off this latest episode of soundtracking with director paul mcguigan my huge thanks to paul for taking the time to talk to us film stars is on general release now and comes highly recommended also huge thanks to j ralph for sending us some of his score 
there's a Spotify playlist for the show featuring the tracks played in the order they appeared. Just head to edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do tell everyone you know about us if you enjoy what you hear. Next up, you are in for a treat. The pair that brought us Little Miss Sunshine, Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton are about to release Battle of the Sexies. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 